0: All right, Jeremiah, chapter. We'll look at 21. The goal is 21, 22. I would like to get into 23, but I'm gonna make a editorial decision here that's probably gonna regret it. But that's okay. Um, I just feel like there, gotta. I gotta do something with this chapter that I think makes sense because the chapter is just odd. So it, it. From what we can figure out, the best I can figure out is chapter 21 and chapter 22. No question. How chapter 23 fits into this, I'm not going to be dogmatic yet, but 21 and 22, it seems to be clear. This is a message to... Basically, four kings of Judah, right? The last four kings of Judah. That that seems to be the best way to describe this, right? Now, it's a little odd the order in which it starts because in chapter 21, there is no question which king is mentioned at least three times here, right? Because if you'll look in chapter 21, verse one, the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord when king... Zedekiah, now he sent unto him Pasher, the son of Malchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest saying. So they he sends these messengers to Jeremiah. Then, look at verse 3, then said Jeremiah unto them, thus shall ye say to Zedekiah. Verse 7, and afterwards saith the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah so Zedekiah is mentioned multiple times there's no question chapter 21 deals with Jeremiah's interaction either with the messengers of Zedekiah and sending messages back to Zedekiah and God giving direct information to Jeremiah about what's going to happen to Zedekiah and what's going to happen to the city so we got that no question 21 is easy to understand you come to chapter 22 and you read verse 1 Thus saith the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. Now, there is debate among the study Bibles, commentaries. Which king is this referencing? Some want to say it's Jehoiakim, but that makes no sense because there's another king mentioned in verse 11 or 12. So if 20, so you'd have 22, 1 through 10 being Jehoiakim then it gets interrupted with Shalom then you go back to Jehoiakim that seems all confusing so I I'm going to argue and I made the argument in the first hour that 22 1 through 10 is Zedekiah the sins that are mentioned in 21 seem to be repeated here in chapter 22 especially in verse 3 so we're going to say that 21 is 22 to, uh, to verse 10 is a message to Zedekiah, all right? So just make sure we have that down. I know, kind of repeated, repeating from the first hour, but I want to make sure we at least establish this fact. Now, once we have this, we have to ask ourselves, okay, so what do we do with it, right? Is it just historical information? Okay, I, we've already established that at least in chapter 21, there's some of that historical information That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Hey, if you stay here, this is going to happen, but you got to go out. If you stay here, you're going to die. But if you leave the city and march out to the people who are coming to destroy you, you'll live. Makes no sense. So we drew the spiritual picture from that because clearly the historical text is demanding more. Once you get to chapter 22, I don't know if there's anything that demands more but it demands something. We had to do something with it, right? So we clearly got a message to Zedekiah. The next one, starting in verse 11, uh, is Shalem. And if you don't know, Shalem is also Joahaz, Uh He succeeds Josiah. He reigned three months. Pharaoh Necho departs him, dep- deported him into Egypt where he died. All right? So we have him mentioned in verse 11 and 12. Starting in 13... We have a message to another king. It doesn't appear that way. It seems odd. But 13 all the way down to 23 is a different king. And that king is mentioned in 18. And that happens to be Jehoiakim, or also known as Eliakim. He reigned for 11 years, and he dies in Jerusalem. All right? Then, starting in verse 24, As I live, saith the Lord, though... Kaniah, right? And Kaniah is known by three different names. Everybody see him in 24? me see him in There's three names he's known by. Uh, he, he, is, uh, called Jecon, he is called Jecon... Oh, he was followed by his son Jehoiakin. Sometimes when I say chen just to distinguish him. Jehoiakin, Jeconiah, and Kaniah. He, his reign lasted three months. Nebuchadnezzar took him to Babylon where he eventually died. So we have all of these kings. Now we're going to just read twenty. We're going to read twenty-two relatively quick here, and you're going to notice something about all of these kings really, really fast. All right, are you ready? So we're just going to go through this quickly, so they at least get the basic information. Then we'll step back from the basic information and see what some practical lessons we can gain from this. All right, you ready? Here we go. Twenty-two, one. Thus saith the Lord: Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O King of Judah, that sitteth upon the throne of David, thou and thy servants and thy people that enter in by these gates. Thus say the Lord, Execute ye judgment and righteousness, deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger or the foreigner, the fatherless nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. So, obviously, that implies that this king, which we think is Zedekiah, is not doing these things, right? God is upset with him for not doing these things. God is bothered by that. What happens? Be well, for if you do this thing, indeed, then shall there enter in by the gates of this house, king sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on the horse, he and his servants and his people. We, once again, the common theme throughout Jeremiah, right? Over and over and over and over. Do what is right. You're going to be blessed and it's going to be great. If you don't do what is right, there's going to be judgment and there's going to be death. It's this very law works based system that we've read about over and over and over and over. Okay, verse five. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thou saith the Lord unto the king's house of Judah, thou art Gilead unto me and the head of Lebanon. Yet, surely I will make thee a wilderness and cities which are not inhabited. And I will, and I will prepare destroyers against thee. Everyone with his weapons and they shall cut down thy choice cedars and cast them into fire. So 22, 1 through 7 is the common narrative that's been repeated over and over and over. If you do right, you're blessed. If you do bad, You're cursed and you're punished, all right? Now, this sets up very important, because right here, verse uh, 8, And many nations shall pass by this city, they shall say every man to his neighbor, Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this great city? Then they shall answer, now this is, verse 9 is very important, because they have forsaken the covenant of their Lord, their God, and worshipped other gods and served them. All right, so someone may want to write down, okay, we're just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to write this down really quick because we're going to come back to this because, and here in a minute, we're going to look at a bunch of practical lessons. Do not forget verse nine. I cannot say it's the most important, but we're going to have a very practical lesson in verse nine. Okay, so we're going to have verse nine. We're going to have the covenant lesson. I'm just going to say the covenant Very important, okay? In fact, the whole book, uh, the whole book, This verse I'm not going to say the most important verse in the book, but this is up there in, in the top two or three, all right? Verse 10, weep ye not for the dead, neither bemoan him, but weep sore for him that goeth away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country, all right? So, King Zedekiah, basically the way we understand 21 is the back and forth, 22, 1 through 10, now Jeremiah goes directly, directly to Zedekiah and gives him, hey, what's, what's about to happen? All right, now, verse 11, all right, here we go. For thus saith the Lord, touching Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which reigned instead of Josiah his father, which went forth out of this place, he shall not return thither Anymore, but he shall die in the place where they have led him captive, and he shall see this land no more. Alright? Shalom was, Shalom succeeded Josiah. Remember his other name is Jehoahaz. He reigned three years, and Pharaoh Necho deported him into Egypt where he died. Does it say much about him here? Doesn't say much about him, does it? Okay. He only had three months. So, he doesn't last very long. Now, if we base it off what came in chapter 22, 1 through 10, it would seem to indicate he didn't do the right thing, right? Therefore, he's taken away and he, and he dies. Now, start in verse 13. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that used his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Thus say I will build me a wide house and large chambers and cutteth him out windows and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shall thou reign because thou closest thou self and cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice? And then it was well with him? He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him and was not this to know me, saith the Lord. But thine eyes and thy heart are not but for thy covetousness and for to shed innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. All of their sins sound very... There's a similarity to all of their sins. Verse 18. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Thou shalt not lament for him, saying, Ah, oh, my brother, or Ah, oh, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, oh, Lord, or all oh, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon, cry, lift up thy voice and Bashan. Cry from the passages, For all thy lovers are destroyed. I spake unto thee, and thy prosperity. But thou saidest, I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. The wind shall eat up all thy pastors, and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then thou shalt be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness, O inhabitants of Lebanon, that makest thy nest in the cedars. How gracious shall thou be when the pangs come upon thee, the pain as of a woman in travail. All right? There's going to be some serious punishment coming upon this king as well. There's a little bit more information here. And this king is, he's mentioned in 17, Jehoiakim, right? Everybody see that? He's also called Eliakim. He reigned for how many years? 11 years, and he died in Jerusalem, okay? Now, that brings us down to 24. As I live, as saith the Lord, Though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. I will give thee into the land of them that seek thy life, into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of Chaldeans. I will cast thee out and thy mother that bear thee into another country where you were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereunto thy desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, Kaniah, a a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore thou cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord Write ye this man childish, a a childish, childless. A man that shall not prosper in the days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Right? Some pretty serious punishment here, right? Now, 30, we probably need to do a little bit of work on 30, all right? You may want to circle 30, we may do a little bit of and see how that all plays out, right? That has some significance. We'll try to get to that in a minute, all right? So the last king there is, okay, Jeconiah or, and he's also known as Kaniah. His reign lasted three months and Nebuchadnezzar took him to Babylon where he eventually died. So all of these, so this is what we can clearly establish. All of these kings were wicked and they all were judged, and they all died, all right? So here are some practical lessons. We're gonna go through three practical lessons. You ready? Practical lesson number one, okay? Before we get to these four kings, we have to mention King Josiah. He reigned for 31 years, and he was what kind of a king? A good king. He led the people back to God. The last four kings of Judah were all wicked, Three of them were Josiah's sons, and one was his grandson, and that was Jehoiakim, right? They were all related to Josiah. So what's a practical lesson that we can derive from this? Even though everyone wants to quote Proverbs and say if you raise them up in the way, either you have to say Josiah messed up completely with all of them, right? You have to say, he messed up, which a lot of people will do, right? Because anytime someone's kid goes bad, they blame the parent, okay? Which, just, just, just look at this from two different perspectives, right? Everyone quotes that proverb passage that if you raise them up in the fear of the Lord, they will not depart when they get old. Everyone quotes that, right? But just think about it from two different theological perspectives. If you believe in free will... Well, then that doesn't make any sense because their will is absolutely free. Just because you raise them a certain way doesn't mean that their will isn't free, right? Unless you're going to say if you raise them the right way, then their will isn't free. There's all kinds of problems with that, right? And if you, of course, if you believe in election, it definitely doesn't make any sense because God does the choosing and the electing. It's not your parenting. Right? So, now, of course, that still raises questions, how do we understand that verse in Proverbs? But that's not neither here nor there. What I want you to see is, this is not the only time in the Bible. There's plenty of times in the Bible where God does not produce godly offspring, right? Godliness is not inherited. Godliness is not Given over by parental skill. Okay, okay, you, okay yeah. Here, here's what we do know. Here's what I know. Par- even godly parents, first of all, are sinners. And I know when mommy sinner and daddy sinner get together, they're going to produce baby sinner. And you guess what? Your parenting cannot overcome a sin nature. Now I know when I say that people lose their mind, but you cannot. You can ground it. You can lecture it, you can beat it. You're not gonna fix us in nature. Right? I mean, a lot of times people are always like, no, 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 you, you can't fi- because it de- because look, even salvation doesn't fix this in nature. Because if it did, Christians would stop sinning. All right, so we just gotta go into the fact. I and I know it can be defeating from a parental perspective. Like, well, what am I supposed to do? There's all you can do is try to teach the truth of Christianity. Right. You preach the truth of Christianity. You try to live it to the best of your ability. I think what's more important than living it out is acknowledging your own failure in front of them and be, not being to lie about it and deny it. Just say, hey, I'm a failure and I'm a sinner. That's why we all need Christ. Right. I'm no better than you. I think it's more important for them to realize what Christian because I think sometimes what we try to convey and I know the, the motive is pure. Right. The motive is pure, is what kids need to see today is mom and dad living out a Christian life in an authentic, real way. And you need to not be sinning. So it sounds good. But what happens sometimes in that world is all you do is pass on to your kids that Christianity is what? Just a moral system. It's just a system of morality. If there's anything I regret, I regret that more than anything. because you you're, you don't want your when your kids get older, even if they reject Christianity, you know what I want them not to say that Christianity is just a moral system that no one keeps up, that no one can follow because they're going to figure that out. I want them to reject the fact that Jesus Christ died for them and they are a sinner and their only hope for their sin is in His finished work. That's what I want them to reject if they're going to reject something. If they reject anything else, they're not rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting morality. Do you see the difference between rejecting Christianity and morality? We have a tendency to see the rejection of morality as a rejection of Christianity. Christianity is a message of God sending his son to die for sinners who can't live up to his morality. But Christ did for them. Alright, right, so I want, if they cannot articulate what they are rejecting, then we all, then that's where we failed as a parent, right? And I put we there. That'll put you, I put we there, right? Because it's, because, because I don't know how you were raised in Christianity, but I was raised in Christianity, that what you had to give your kids was Morality, 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 morality. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't watch this. Don't listen to this. Don't go here. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. All they know Christianity is a list of don'ts. And it and and it makes me mad that that's what I was brought up with basically thinking that's what I had to convey to my kids. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. We don't do this. We don't talk this way. We don't, 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 don't. And at some point, you can't blame them for thinking, you, we can still try to teach the doctrine and theology, but what is the kid going to remember? The don'ts. And they're going to grow up and they're going to go, well, I don't like the don'ts. I want the do's. So I'm going to reject the don'ts. They think it's just a matter of rejecting don'ts for do's. Right? That, that, is that not what happens? They just think that that's what it comes out. I want them to be, I want them to articulate now what I am rejecting is the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. I want them to be able to say those, cause then at least I know what they're rejecting. But in almost every case, we know what they're rejecting. A moral standard. A moral standard. Okay? And you're like, okay, well, you may, it, it, because it, my thing is, even if you follow God's moral standard in this area, I hope you understand, you're not going to be following it in 50 other areas. So instead of fighting them about a moral standard, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only solution for your sin? That, if they can clearly articulate, because if they don't, they're not even articulating the gospel. But the reality is, we cannot give them faith in the gospel. I know you can convince them when they're seven and eight and nine and ten, obviously, to believe it because, well, they've seen the movie, right? They're going to believe whatever you tell them. But we all if you've been a Christian long enough, you know that all of that childhood following the parent, thinking the parent is right, turns into rebellion and rejection of the parental authority. So now they're going to go make it out on their own and be their own person. Okay, whatever. Yeah, got it. But... What scares me is so many of the kids, when you talk to them about what they reject, if you listen to the younger generation talk about what they reject, they're not really articulating a rejection of the gospel. They are rejecting morality. And that's, that should be the most fearful thing to us. That should be the most fearful thing to us. But we, we're so good at instilling morality. Morality, 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 morality. We're like the moral police, and and I hate that we, we we've all fallen short there. But you can't you can't do that. In this case, look, we know it. We have a godly king, and ever no matter all the things he tried to do, what did his kids and his grandkid do? The absolute opposite. You cannot can you cannot give it. You cannot ground them into it. You can't lecture them into it. You can't, I mean, you can't, you can't do anything because at one point it's always uh, young couples with young kids that are always like, oh, look at my, my kid can say part of the Apostles' Creed. My kid, ooh, ooh, and they, they all get, puff out their chest a little bit and you can see the spiritual pride and they want to tell you about how their kid answered this theological question and oh, they're reading the Bible and they, they'll tell you all the stories and you just like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to put water on their fire so you just like okay that's great and just you know and you sit back in your mind and you're like you know call me when they're you know 16 call me when they're 18 call me when they're 19 and let's see how they're doing okay cuz you know it's far different when they're 7 quoting the apostles creed and they're 16 yeah okay you know, you know the d- difference is night and day. And I'm not even picking on her. I'm picking. I'm just saying that's just a fact. It's just a fact, and I I can't understand it. Like I don't understand it because I wasn't raised that way. When I was, you know, a teenager, I just became a Christian, and it was. And you, know, you know, I've always said it before. Who did I not understand? And not get along with the kids raised in the church? I was like, you can't. What are you people? I don't even know what's wrong with you. I don't, like, I, I did not get along with them, right? I'm like, fine, where are the atheist kids? I can get along with those. Cause the Christian kids were just like, what is this? Like, they didn't care about anything. It was such, like, you talk about you, the, the, the worst, the worst witness for Christianity are kids raised in the Christian home. They're the absolute worst, right? Cause they want nothing to do with it. They're bored with it. They're tired of it. They don't nothing. And you're the and you're a brand new Christian. You're like, oh, Christian kids, let's. And oh, okay, well, never mind. I'm sorry. I thought, thought you were thought you were a Christian. Okay, like okay, never mind. I'll go read the Bible with somebody else, right? Because it was, it, I mean, it was so bizarre, right? Because you know, I, I you know, it was all new to me. So I walk into church. All right, let's do this. And they're like. Shut up. I'm like, okay, never mind. <laughs> are we on the same team? That, that should have been a good clue that I was never going to be on the same team, right? I should have known it right there. But I just want you to just realize when you're reading about all these kings, who they're related to. Josiah. yeah, Remember, all three of them are his sons and one is his grandson. You can't, and people say, well, how do you relate that to Proverbs? I don't have a good answer for you. Okay, first of all, this is what we have to know. Proverbs is a proverb. It's not a definitive doctrine. And I think the most important thing is, I think what we, and I'm not saying that there's a definitive answer to this. I think we can see this. Whether good or bad, in some ways it's bad, that even kids who depart, if they're raised in a Christian home and they're taught, That even if they depart from it, you still hear it showing up over and over and over in their head. The the way they think or the way they will say something, you're like, could you just stop borrowing from the worldview you rejected because it's straight from it? Like, could you catch on? Could you go find your own worldview and and not borrow from ours because you've rejected ours? But you, you, you get that. But it's just, I mean, we see it right here. I mean, it's a biblical example a biblical example. I wish I wish it wasn't the case. I wish I wish you could just say, hey, bring a kid here, I'll raise him, and boom, boom, I get a magic Christian. But guess what? If a baptism doesn't give you a magic Christian, child dedication doesn't give you a magic Christian. VBS doesn't give you a magic Christian. Awana doesn't give you a magic Christian. Memorizing scripture, catechizing, all of it does not give you A magic Christian because Christianity, from what we believe, only arises from the sovereign work of God through the proclamation of his word and the Holy Spirit to take a dead sinner and bring them to life. And that cannot be accomplished through good parenting. It's a sovereign work. Good parenting can only do what? Good parenting may be able to give theological knowledge. Theological knowledge does not equate to regeneration, right? Theological knowledge doesn't. So that, we just got to get that, that, that's a major lesson from this, all right? The second major lesson I want to take from this, all right? All right, have a a, a major, I think this is important, all right? And we're going to have to talk about this, and hopefully, Sarah, you have all the scriptures that we wrote down in. Hour one, ready to go. Okay. I know this is not the emphasis here. I know this is not what Jeremiah is trying to say, but I think it would be, especially in 2023, we would be foolish not to spend some time this morning dealing with it. All right? We have how many wicked kings listed here? Four wicked kings. Now, we, I mentioned it briefly this morning. It does present a, a philosophical problem, Right? These four kings, right? And can everyone name the four kings now? Because Zed- uh, Zedekiah, Jehoiakim? okay, Jeconiah, right? Shalom or that's Jeconiah, right? Did we get all of the names right? Do we need to go through them one more time. Do we? Let's get them down. Let's make sure we have them down. Da- if, you, if you if you can't leave here and get all the names down. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. Let's just make sure we have them. So everyone got this. The first one is Zedekiah. Everybody got that? Chapter 21, chapter 22, verses 1 through 10. All right. Next is Jehoahaz or Shalem, right? Everybody got him? Verses 10 through 12, correct? He reigned three months. Next Jehoi Kim, also known as Eliah Kim. All right. And he's 13 through 23. Then, yeah, uh, 24 through 30 is Jeconiah or Kaniah. Everybody got those names? Are we good? Are we sure? Okay. Now, all of these kings are bad. Now, First, the philosophical, so let's, so the next major lesson, I want to talk about the bad kings. Talk about the bad kings, all right? The bad kings, everybody ready? First, there's two major lessons we derive from the bad kings, all right? Or we can call them A and B, all right? The first one is the philosophical problem, right? Everybody understands the philosophical problem. What do we believe about uh, earthly rulers and earthly authority? God puts them there. Well, if God puts them there, Does everyone understand the philosophical problem? Why would he put them there? And then who suffers? The people suffer. Now, the kings suffer too, but the people suffer. Right? Now, some people would say, no, the people, the the ungodliness of the people led them to having ungodly kings. You can try to blame the people for the king, right? But we know the king is put there by God, so did they... Did God put the king? So did the ungodliness of the people produce the ungodly king? Or did the ungodly king produce the ungodly people? I don't know if you can try to figure out does the chicken become before the egg and all of that. I I think it's just a circular argument, right? Because here's what I know. Both are sinful, but it is concerning because they were avoiding some of this judgment when God gave them a good king. (laughs) For 31 years, Okay. 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 Yeah, 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 I know. So, I I yeah, I mean I I don't know exactly how you want, but I we we're not going to be able to ever unravel the philosophical problem, right? I mean, the whole book of Jeremiah is one philosophical problem, right? Why doesn't God do anything to stop this never-ending problem? But he doesn't. So, we have the philosophical problem. God put them there, but it comes down to this. And this and I know this is not the issue here. I know it's not the issue here. But we have seen a little bit of this. What have we seen happen to Jeremiah during uh, the rules of some of these bad people? We saw him punished, right? Put in the stockades, right? We, or we saw him already punished once, right? So, and we, it's gonna happen again. So here's the, key, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves and it's been a, debated probably more so in the last four years than it has maybe in any time in my Christian life. What are the roles and responsibility of Christians under ungodly rule, ungodly government? What is the rule and the or what is the responsibility of Christian underneath it? I know it doesn't talk about it here. Now we see it in a little bit. What is Jeremiah's responsibility? Right, his responsibility is keep delivering God's word. Now, let's make it very clear. This is very important. I want to make, I'm just going to get this out of, the, just out of the way, okay? With offense to anyone, I don't care, because it's got to be said in 2023. Nowhere in the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah told to overthrow it, to fight against it. He's just simply told to preach and deliver the message. That's all he's told to do. He's not, called, he's not called to start an uprising. He's not here to, to he's not here to storm any buildings. he's not here to try to pe- vote people out of office. None of that. His job is simply to deliver the word. People may not like that, but that we can at least derive that from Jeremiah. You can try to run somewhere else, but from Jeremiah that's what he's just called to do, right? Hey, go preach here. All right, go preach here. okay, all right. Buy a buy a, a, vessel. No, go break it. Whatever he's called to do, that's what he's told to do. And so we, we can take that. So what we're going to do is just, in a very fast way, remind ourselves of at least some of the main verses the Bible talks gives us in regards to the responsibility we have under ungodly uh, government. And we know where the first one is. It's the one that used to be so important until a couple of years ago when all kinds of pastors started saying, oh, wait, it no longer applies. That's Romans chapter 13. Everybody loved Romans 13 before COVID. Then all of a sudden, everyone hated Romans 13. All of a sudden, Romans 13 no longer applied, which is, Paul may have been a little shocked considering he was giving Romans 13 to people who was being ruled by whom? Nero, okay, all right. So he may be shocked that we were like, Oh my goodness, we're being persecuted. He may have been like, uh, about, okay. But here we go. All right. Here's what we are told. Oh boy. I don't even want to read it. Cause man, you talk about what it will generate emails. Man, this will generate emails. Cause nobody wants to hear this anymore. Okay. So in fact, you know what? And some, I don't even think we should start in 13. Go back to chapter 12, verse 9. I really think something comes before it. You ready? Romans 12, 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. What does it mean to let love be without dissimulation? What does it mean to be love without dissimulation? Does anybody know? Whoever gets the answer first wins100 dollars. Okay. In other words, let your love be what? Sincere. True. Sincere, right? In other words, a, a lot of times we, we tend to love, we're not loving what we're loving for what reason? For what we can get. right? Remember, I, I say that all the time. Much of the time, what we call love is, nothing, is, is simply us loving whom? Ourself. We love someone because of what we get, what we feel. It's not the way it's supposed to work. Look at verse 10. Be... Kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. This is so very important. I don't care what the government is doing. I don't care who's in office. I don't care what's going on. Christians are called to love people in a sincere way, putting others before themselves. I don't care what the government says. We don't need the government to tell us that. If we're facing a situation, our first thought should not be, my rights should be other people. I want us to hear that, okay? Whatever, no matter how evil the government is, the Christian's first thought should be, not my rights, how can I love and put others before me? When Christians talk about their rights before anything else they've lost the plot and it's the Christians who are at fault I don't care how bad the government is no matter how bad the government is what is our call love people sincerely and put them before yourself and Christians will talk it's an American thing it's an American thing my rights, my rights, my rights. The Bible doesn't ever talk about your rights. Isn't it amazing how Christians will read those passages that talk about what a slave is supposed to do, right? And we'll we'll kind of like, well, you know, some people may go so far like, well, the, I guess the slave should have done that, right? That's what the slaves were. And we'll kind of, but no, we won't apply that stuff to us because as soon as someone wants to take away our rights, what do we do? How dare you? Infringe upon my right. Yeah, make sure you understand. The Bible never established what kind of rights. Constitutional rights. Now, I know I played the, vi- I played the video re- recently of, you know, at a conference where there was a bunch of pastors where the pastors were told that they need to set aside their Bible on, on Sundays and start reading the Constitution to the people. Okay, well, if the American church has become basically that, we're finished. Okay, it's not about your rights. You don't need the government to tell me that. I don't need the government to say, hey, 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 worry about other people. I don't need to. I I should just do that. Now, we know we're sinners, so guess what we're going to always do? We're going to worry about ourselves. We're going to worry about ourselves. We don't need the government. So before we even get to the government, he's already laying out what we're supposed to do when it comes to other people. What are we supposed to do? Prefer other people. And in fact, and look, that's not me telling you that. What does Paul tell the Corinthians to do? Okay. Well, and, and Paul, Paul and Corinthians, but that's before we get to even Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. What does he tell you to do? Give up your rights for other people. Even if you may have the right. Remember, he was talking about eating. If eating meat, what do you do? You give up your right. Okay. Nobody wants to hear that. We would say what? Get over it. Your problem. And then, so I, I cannot establish that. All right, Next verse. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So when we're facing difficult times as a Christian, we're facing difficult times. And maybe those difficult times are directly related to decisions by a government in which we don't agree with. First of all, we're supposed to be loving people and putting others before ourselves. And what are we supposed to do? Just list all of those. Rejoice and hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Do less talking about the problem and do more praying about it. Oh, but Christians don't want to do that. Right? Christians don't want to do that. We're going to talk. We're going to argue. We're going to fight. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. In other words, care for other people. Do what you can for other people. Do what you can to help other people. Whenever anyone sees the words hospitable, they think it's a potluck. Right? That's not, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. When it's the government that's doing, what are your responsibility to a government that could be persecuting you? Bless them. In fact, we are to love our enemies. Love. Not calling them names, not doing none of that nonsense, not acting like children on a playground. I've said a million times, I played audio from American Family Radio right here in Abilene, Texas, okay? They're a large national Christian network. Listen to them Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can't tell the difference between them and the talk radio with the Republican conservative talk show host. It's the same garbage. It's just Christianized. They'll throw in Jesus. They'll call... They'll call Biden, they'll make fun of his mental abilities, they mock, they call names, they make fun of the vice president, make fun of her laugh, and it's just like it's ch- nothing godly about it, yet they claim to be a Christian ministry. There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them with, with uh, that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but consent to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if possible, as much as life in you. Live peaceable, peaceably with all men. You do everything in your power, to live at peace, even with the government you may not like. And then what does it say here? Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. There, and then how are you to treat your enemy? First, you don't seek revenge. What are you to do in the next verse? If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them drink. And how do we overcome evil? Last verse. How do we overcome evil? With good. That Look, th- before we even get to what we should do with the uh, evil government, that's how we should be acting even before the g- evil government is even put into power. And when they're put into power, does it change that? So when people's actions are doing things, and it drives me crazy because as soon as you start trying to point this up, people are like, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. no, 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 no. Right? It's like a... Um Russell Moore, who used to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and then, you know, he got basically, his, his ministry got all messed up because he would not support Trump. Well, he told the story of preaching some of the things in the Sermon on the Mount and some of this. And guess what? He Someone came up to him afterwards and told him, where did you get those liberal talking points? And he was like, when the words of Jesus now are liberal talking points, maybe it's just time to get out of the church. What's the point? That like, that? not that sad? That, that can't be like the church is in trouble. The church is in bad trouble now when that's perceived as liberal talking points or being woke. Okay, how about maybe it's called right here, it's in scripture. When when Christians cannot understand that they, they want to sound like you know Trump on Truth Social, we're not supposed to sound like that. We're called not to be that way. And this and I can trace it back. I started seeing the problem in the 1990s. I started getting upset about it in the 1990s because I would go to church and there'd be Christian men and they'd be talking about some social issue and I'd be like, they sound like Rush Limbaugh. That's what they're doing on their lunch hour. They're listening to Rush Limbaugh. Now, if you want to listen to Rush Limbaugh, okay. But you're, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to sound like him. Your talking points are not supposed to be from Rush Limbaugh. Your talking points are supposed to be from scripture so i started seeing it in the 90s and then it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and, and sometimes you just like i don't get this I, I i don't understand what's happened because some people have a hard time distinguishing their politic and their patriotism with their christianity but i can tell you guess what your christianity doesn't care about your patriotism and definitely doesn't care about your politics Jesus is like, no, this is how you're supposed to think. This, thing. and I don't care if it goes against your political party. We've got we got to remember that that all of that is before chapter thirteen. See, anytime, whenever people would are, and I and I got emails. I don't even know. Um, maybe it was a YouTube comment. Someone was going off on something I'd said before probably during the COVID pandemic, because anything I said during the COVID pandemic, you know, Christians would disagree with me. But anytime they would argue me, I'm like, did you read the chapter before? Because the the, the way they think they get out of jail is you're misinterpreting chapter 13 because chapter 13 tells us only to submit to good government, not to bad government. And I'm like, okay, well, even if you go with that, chapter 12 tells you about a million things you're supposed to be doing. So if we're going to disagree on 13, how come all of your attitudes and actions are disagreeing with everything in chapter 12? Oh, I guess chapter 12 doesn't apply either. Because guess what? It never applies when you don't want it to apply. So then chapter 13. Let every soul be under the higher powers, for there be no power, but of God, the powers that be are of ordained of God. Immediately, this gives us the Christian perspective on government and the Christian perspective on government is what? First, who put it there? God. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. That leads me to absolute mental breakdown, especially in Jeremiah. Why one wicked king after another wicked king, and not only that, it makes I don't even understand it when I move forward in history. Why, why a Hitler? Why a Mussolini? Why a Stalin? Right, like I don't understand it. Okay. Oh yeah, well even today I'm just saying, and even in America, whatever you think about whoever's in charge, yeah, the point is. We may not understand it, but God ordained it. That is hard to comprehend. That is hard to comprehend. God put them there. You can yell and scream. God put them there. Get over it. Your issue is with God. Your issue is not some conspiracy theory. Your issue is with God. Take it up with Him. That, I, look, I, and I understand that's disturbing. But that just tells me, all of those four evil kings, God put them there. And then what are we to do? It says right there in verse 1. Be subject unto them. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be subject unto them? To submit. To submit. People don't like to hear that. And guess what happens if you don't submit? Look at verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. The Christian view of government is God put it there, we are to submit to it, and if we resist it, what do we do? We're resisting God. We're fighting against God. Now, I want to make it very clear. This, for our many American Christians, this they have a hard time with this. But God doesn't care that you live in America. He does not care what form of government we establish. Because God says he puts in charge, not we. We think we do. God says he does. Right? Then it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, verse 3. Some people say, well, see, verse 3 is the key. Because if the rulers aren't good, then it it throws out everything in verse 1 and 2. Okay. I agree. What should government do? Government should do good, right? We, they should do good, right? We, we, we believe they should. But can our expectations ever be that government's always going to do good? Why? That's sinful nature, right? So the government is a minister of God. For good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Yes, now listen, that's what government should do. Should be an instrument for good, and should punish evil. We got no problem with that. That's what it should do. Is it always going to do that? No. Is it going to do that sometimes in an incorrect way? Countless times it's going to do wrong, Right? We can't expect it to be right because we're not even right. But does that negate then the the previous... I I do not believe that this says only obey good government because then who gets to define what is good? Because in every government, can I find scripture that they probably are disobeying or they're not being... Then it would come down to, no, 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 no. I would quote a verse... And you, I can quote verses about things Trump did and other people be like, absolutely not, absolutely not. He shouldn't do that. I could find verse after verse about how to treat the foreigner, right? The foreigner was whom? The immigrants, right? That's who they were in the Bible, right? There was all kinds of rules on how to treat the immigrants. There was not one time that they said build a wall. So I can use scripture. Someone else would go, but, there's law and there's order. And then they would quote another scripture. So then guess what? It would be a never ending battle of which government is the good one. Right? Fifty people would be like, Trump is the good one. And fifty people would be like, Trump is the bad one. So they get, so everyone's only going to obey the government that they think is good. That is a, that is a, that is a, that's spiritual anarchy. Okay. I think the scriptures are saying, whoever God puts there, we are to submit to. Now, immediately, what will people say? Wait, 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 wait. Not in every case. We'll get to the, the exceptions. In the meantime, what are we supposed to do even before the government gets there? Love, serving, being peaceable, not taking revenge, right? Putting others... Before so we, we already have the rules in place before we ever get to the government. Once the government's put in place, we're told what to do. And then look at verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs uh, be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this is the cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's minister, attending continually upon the very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom, honor to whom, honor. Show respect to what you're supposed to do. And just immediately, look what happens then, starting in verse eight. What are we right back to? Love one another, love one another, love one another. We're right back to loving one another. That, that's what Christians are called to do. And all I have seen over for the last four or five years is Christians screaming about their rights, how bad the government is, and what we're going to do to fix it, change it, overthrow it, whatever. We're going to fight against it, call them names. And it's like, what, what has happened? It's not, it doesn't even look anything like this, does it? We have lost the plot completely. All right? Um, go to the other passages we're going to look at. I think we had one in Second Timothy 2 that I said we we're going to use really quick. Yeah, go to Second Timothy 2 really quick. Some of these are really fast. I just want us to have this down. We'll Go to Second Timothy 2 first. Probably should go to First Timothy 2 first, but that's okay. This one's really quick. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall also be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as the good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him to whom he hath chosen him to be a soldier. There's a warning here that we endure hardness and we, what do we not try to do? Entangle ourselves. How does the verse read? Entangleth ourselves with the affairs of this life. We can't get so entangled with some of these issues. We gotta know when and when not to, because if not, guess what? You're gonna stop doing what? Being a soldier for Christ, you're going to become a soldier for the Republican Party. You're not to be a soldier for the Republican Party. You're not to fight the next culture war. Okay, and who, does, who, do, who should not be giving you the marching orders? A political party, conservative talk radio, or a news channel. They don't give you your marching orders. Christ does. Does that make sense? All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and honesty. What are we supposed to be doing? Praying for them no matter who they may be, no matter what their policies may be. Pray for them. You know what would be great if Christians would spend less time boycotting, less time talking on social media, less time complaining, and more time just shutting up and praying. That would be the more biblical approach, would it not? All right. Okay, and then one more. Peter, is it First Peter? 1 2. 1 Peter 2. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 13. Once again, Peter's writing to Christians who are actually being actively persecuted under a uh, bad government. What does he say? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, for so it is the will of God that with well doing may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only for to the good. And gentle, but also to the forward. Who are you to also uh, be subject to? Those who aren't good. I don't know how Christians don't see that. Now, Christians love to, uh, uh, lo- Christians got no problem applying that to those in physical slavery, but Christians won't apply that to themselves under governmental rule. We have to be willing to do that. And then someone already is probably typing up an email. So we go ahead and look at it. Acts chapter 15, where everybody runs to. Is it 15? Yeah. Acts chapter 15. Do what? Oh, Acts 5. Okay, I'm sorry. Acts 5. Acts chapter 5. Yeah, starting in verse 17, Acts 5, 17. Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Please note in verse 17, who are the l- leaders in question here? Is, the, is that governmental leaders? It's religious leaders. Everybody see that? For some weird reason, this text, sometimes people kind of forget this part of the text, do they not? Who are the leaders in question here? Religious leaders, right? And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison door and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple and the people and all the words of this life. And when they heard, they entered into the temple early in the morning. But the high priest came, and they were with him, and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent unto the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut and all safe, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But, with, but when we had opened, we found no man within." Now when the high priest and the captains of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one to them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then when the captain with the officers brought them without the violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest, Please know what, this is the, this is the religious government of Israel. Right? The, Rome let them take care of many of these religious disputes among themselves. Why? They didn't want to be involved. And then what happens? Ask them saying, hey, what's going on? Did we not strictly command you? Who commanded them not to preach in his name? The pre, not the civil government. And you have filled Jerusalem. Then Peter and the other apostles, the qu- the verse that everyone quotes, we ought to obey rather than men. Everyone quotes that. Well, then the next time a religious authority tells you not to preach in Jesus' name, you have my full permission to tell them I'm going to obey God. That has nothing to do with civil government. That has nothing to do with it. Now, if I say that, people are going to get furious, but I'm so tired of the verse being ripped out of context. That is is not a governmental authority that they are rebelling against. It is the religious leaders of their day that Jesus condemned and telling them not to preach. It would be be a religious authority telling me not to preach in Jesus' name. Now, if if the... If the government tells me not to preach in Jesus' name, I'm not saying there's not something we shouldn't do. But I'm just saying, the one example of disobeying has nothing to do with civil government. (laughs) How how come Christians constantly miss that? How, how How is it always preached? If the government steps on the rights of the church... We will obey God. Whoa, you better want to quote, quote, Mr. Preacher. You may want to quote the verse in its context. The context is if a religious authority tells me not to preach, then I can do what? I don't have to listen to them. Now, I'm not, you say, well, what happens if the, if the, gov- if the government comes up to me and says, you are not to preach in the name of Jesus, then we, obviously there's going to be conflict here. There's going to be difficulty here. I know that I'm supposed to bend over backwards to do everything I can to see if there's a way to resolve it. But in this particular case, the one example of what we call civil disobedience was not to the civil authority. It was to the religious authority. And the next time you hear someone on Christian radio or a pastor or a Christian friend quote this verse, would you correct them? And say, uh... You know, if we're going to be the ones quoting scripture, maybe we should do what? Not quoted out of context. All right. So we're, we're out of time. We're out of time. So here, let's do this. I said there was three major lessons, but we're only going to get two major lessons from this right now. Okay. So the first major lesson now in Jeremiah 22, we have a story. Jeremiah 21 and 22. We have the message to four kings. We have covered, we've talked about who the four kings are, right? So everybody have it down. How well can you do it to pass the test now? The first king mentioned in 21 and the 22, verses 1 through 10, is Zedekiah. The second one is Shalom, is mentioned, or Joahaz, right? Okay. Next, Jehoiakim, also called Eliakim. Next is Kaniah. Remember, he's got multiple names. Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, and I always say to distinguish it, Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, and Coniah. right? Those are the kings. We know that three of them were sons of Josiah, and one was a grandson, and that was Jehoiakim. all right? Jehoiachin, Jehoiakin was the grandson, right? Okay, so first major lesson I want you to take away today is what? Godly parenting does not make godly children. Godly children are the product of quote-unquote salvation. And even godly children are never truly godly because we're all still sinners, but you get the idea, right? Okay. And I know when I say that, people are going to quote the Proverbs verse, but I'm just telling you, I don't, if you believe in free will, if, I don't care what your theological background is, you've got a problem there, yes? Because what remains in a kid? Sin nature. Can a parent, can parenting, you can say, well, parenting can control. Parenting, what can parenting do to the sinful nature? You can try to hold it from showing itself outwardly, but but that's only limited, right? Because there's gonna come a time that you can no longer restrain it. And then they're going to go do what they want to do. And restraining sinful nature is far different than changing sinful nature. Does everybody understand that? You could argue that if you believe in a literal millennial kingdom, what happens at the end of the millennial kingdom? Full-blown uprising and rebellion. That's a thousand years of Christ ruling and reigning. Okay, physically. So he, kind of, he restrained it for a thousand years, but it's still there right? Adam and Eve raised a Cain, right? You can just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, okay? David raised a Solomon, okay? Right? Everyone goes with Absalom, but I mean Solomon, I mean, I mean Absalom was bad, but I don't know, I mean, what, what do we call Solomon, okay? I know Solomon, always, isn't it weird he always gets the pass? Right? Doesn't Solomon always get the pass? Isn't it weird? Okay. I I, yeah, I guess he, he, I he had to be wise to get that many women, I guess. I mean I mean that's all I gotta know. I mean he'd come up with a thousand so I mean they, they just I, do what? Oh he turned his heart, I know, all the way to I mean he became a he was a polygamist, an adulterer, and an idolater, but he always gets the past. It's so weird. But the point is, it, it doesn't it doesn't correlate that way. I wish it did. And then the second major lesson and I know this, again, I know we kind of departed from the text here, and I hope you forgive me for that. But when you see all of these wicked kings, you got You know, at least in my mind, in 2023, we would be, and one of the things I said about studying Jeremiah is looking for the practical lessons. We cannot forget when no matter how wicked the king is, the people have a responsibility. And that responsibility is outlined clearly in the New Testament for us. Right? It's clearly outlined. And we cannot forget that. And I don't know why the American church has lost that. I don't know why. It's, like, it's almost like, you, you know what's sad? Is to even try to preach this and try to articulate that. It's like, there was a time it wouldn't have been controversial. Now, you're considered liberal, woke. Uh, you're a sellout. You're under the, the control of Satan. i like, who knows what? And it's like, what has happened that to preach the basic message of scripture, like, hey, here's bad government, here's Christian responsibility. And then then when you point out in Acts 5 that that's not saying what you say that it says, people will get furious at you. Like, no, it's applicable. According to whom, you? The text is applicable to religious government. That's what it's about. Every other situation, what are they doing? Submit, 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 submit. Now, if, if the government ever steps up and says, you're not allowed to preach in Jesus' name, okay, that's very specific. They're literally forbidding me to preach in Jesus. If they become very, very, very specific there. That's how come, listen, if you want to avoid them saying you can't preach in Jesus' name, let me give you some clues of what to do. Don't stop anyone else from preaching their faith. If you want this public school to have after-school clubs, then don't stop them when they want to have after-school Satan clubs. If you want them to have prayer in the public school, don't get mad when they start calling people to pray to Allah in the public schools. If you want to establish some form of Christian nationalism, don't get so mad if someone wants to establish Sharia law. Because once you start that, you're going down a road and now it becomes a religious war. And it's all great while your religion is in charge. I don't want, obviously, Christian National, I want freedom of religion. I want everyone to be able to do what they want. And I want the government, and I want it to stay out of any government capacity. I want the government to stay out of it, and I want the Christians to stay out of it. Just everyone... That's, we're Baptist. One of the reasons I still maintain the name Baptist here is because that is one of the founding principles of Baptist. It's the separation of church and state. I don't want them here, and I don't want to be there. I want everyone to have, that's the great thing about America, is if someone wants to be a witch, they can be a witch. If someone wants to be a Satanist, they can be a Satanist. If someone wants to be a Buddhist, they can be a Buddhist. I don't want any government agency forcing any kind of religion on anybody. Leave it out of it. It says public school. It doesn't say Christian school. You want the kids to pray? Open up the churches at 7 o'clock in the morning and let the kids stop by the church. you going to stop by so because you want the church. And then instead of you wanting the church or you want the school to do it, how about the church do it, right? You want the, you want the kids to go to school to learn the Bible when you're, all you're doing in church is giving them pizza parties. Stop with the nonsense. The church be the church and let the school be the school. You know why I want the kids to learn in school? I want them to learn academics and critical thinking skills. What I don't want is the school trying to promote a religious view and I, want the, and I don't want the school censoring or keeping information from kids. Now, there may be age appropriate thing I got no problem with, but I want access I sure didn't want anyone telling me what I could read when I went to the Abilene Public Library when I was a kid. Good thing there wasn't things, I read everything. I wasn't forbidden from the adult section when I was a kid. I went anywhere in that library and I read anything and everything. If it was a book, I was walking the aisles going, I'm going to read this, I'm going to read this, I'm going to read this. I'm going to And I didn't want anyone telling me what I could and couldn't read. It's nonsense. we got kids who won't read. and we got parents who won't take books out of libraries. What I want to do is to teach them how to do what? To think about what they read. I want them to go, here's an idea. Do I agree with the idea or not agree with the idea? Is this an appropriate idea or is it a wrong idea? Because even when they read the Bible, I don't know if you know this, there's some pretty messed up and inappropriate stuff, right? You know, ever read what happens to the woman in Judges? I can't even say it. She's chopped up and her body sent all over Israel. You want a kid reading that? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, Christians will be like, well, I mean, it's in the Bible. Well, that would be like, well, it's in my book. You see, who gets to determine then which is a prize? That's always the never-ending debate. That's always the never ending debate. I mean, there's some messed up stuff going on in the book and the Bible, right? So, someone can send in a school board meeting and go, This is inappropriate. And it'd be like, Well, okay. Yeah. Oh, there's some messed up stuff. Oh, yeah. You've got genocide and slaughter, and yeah, you've got all kinds of stuff. All I'm saying is, yeah, I understand. There's always a debate whether something is age appropriate. I got no problem. I'm just saying I want freedom. I want freedom because, and I said all the time, the freedoms I deny others, I'm ultimately myself. And the freedom I demand are the freedoms I must give. I will defend someone's freedom of speech at all costs, at all costs. I mean, I do not like censorship. I do not like it because, because I want people to have that freedom. So I want the government there. But and, and for us, Whatever the government is doing, right or wrong, we have a responsibility. And we should just focus on that responsibility because we definitely speak some wicked government in chapter 22. All right, we'll stop. we come before you this afternoon. Lord, I don't know if any of that was super helpful today, but Lord, it's the best I could do. I pray that you will use it in any way possible. And Lord, we pray for um, the the situation with Stacy. We pray that uh, you can uh, help and bring uh, physical healing. Uh, Lord, just uh, help, uh, just help the situation, and uh, we just thank you for uh, this church where we can discuss these issues, uh, where in many places we would not be able to talk about these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.